Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Got a very today with Mark Gray. He's the CEO of an ASX coal company called Allegiance Coal. Um, he's actually based up in BC. We talked to him today about their imminent production uh, from their Colorado project. If you want our thoughts on the conversation topics uh, covered today, including the macro, go to our website, cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. You can also find detailed company reports and analysis, which you might enjoy. There is commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of companies and commodities. Um, we do training videos on that to help you with your diligence. We also do summaries of other interviews that we've done just to save you some time. And of course, there's a wonderful, thriving community of quite intelligent investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other and discussing the content uh, in there. Uh, go and join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Mark, how are you, sir? Well, thank you, Matthew. Good, good. Where in the world are you? I live, uh, I live in a very cold place, um, uh, northwest British Columbia, at the location of, of one of our projects. Oh, fantastic. No, you, you don't sound like you're a local. Where are you from? Originally New Zealand. Um, um, spent a lot of time in Australia over the last uh, 15 to 20 years uh, learning the mining game um, as an ex-lawyer, um, but um, in a residence in Canada now for the last three years. Oh, fantastic. Okay, right. Um, well, so it looks rather, rather cold there. It must be also uh, must be a little bit different from what you're used to, I suspect. Certainly the winters here in northwest British Columbia, uh, you know, can be quite demanding. Um, at the moment, it's about minus 20, 21. Yesterday, it was got down to minus 31. That, that is extraordinary. Normally, you know, we, we live in temperatures, you know, around minus 10. Uh, Lots of snow. We have a ski hill uh, very close to us, so recreation here is is particularly good as well. Oh boy, that is. I, I'm not sure I have clothing for that, but uh, that's uh, that sounds that sounds very very cold indeed. Sorry, it certainly poses interesting challenges to mining, right? In the in, in the cold weather, but uh, to, you know, to, to the credit of of, of Canadians, uh, they're good at it. Well, look, we're, we're about to hear all about it. Um, but before we kind of get into having our discussion, would you mind giving everyone just a one minute overview of what your business is? And I'll pick it up from there. Yes, Allegiance Coal, um, ASX listed, um, focused uh, on a developing and uh, operating uh, steel making coal mines. Um, strong believers in the long term demand uh, for blast furnace steel. Okay, great. <laughs> very, very concise, very lawyerish of you. Well done. Um, <laughs> now, um, we wrote an article on coal a couple of weeks ago, and boy, oh boy, we were absolutely abused by a few people who are a little bit upset about the idea of people mining coal. It's dirty, it pollutes, it's not good for the environment. So why on earth would you want to be a CEO of a mining company which is bringing coal out of the ground? Um, I mean, you know, very good question. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm personally a, a strong believer, as I said at the beginning, in the immediate, medium and long-term demand for blast furnace steel. Um, supply is constrained, uh, you know, during uh, the 
last commodity downturn. Uh, a lot of the major major coking coal producers um, held back on significant capex programs, uh, and it takes you know it takes ten to fifteen years to get a mine into production. So supply is constrained, and demand is good. Um, India is slowly but surely going through a significant industrialization process, uh, and um, China's demand. Uh, for coking coal remains strong. They're a net importer, notwithstanding how much coal they produce. So the you know the the macro uh, e economic dynamics uh, tell a good story. And at the end of the day, you know you do need steel to make uh, wind turbine energy, solar panels, electric cars, long term uh, storage battery units. I mean, it's you know it goes hand in hand. Uh, with uh, renewable energy. So do you think people are getting confused, the difference between thermal coal, which is for energy requirements, and matte coal or coking coal or steel-making coal, however you want to phrase it, which is for, has industrial usage. If, you, if you're making steel, you need matte coal. So do you think that's the confusion? Is that the problem in terms of environmentalists getting angry with coal miners? Well, certainly th there is no doubt about it that there is... Uh, a lack of knowledge in making that distinction. Uh, and, and I experience that every day. I'm some very intelligent people uh, who I come across every day, uh, every week, every month, who are surprised uh, to appreciate that a thermal coal and metallurgical coal are two very different uh, minerals, uh, you know, one serving power and the other uh, you know, serving the blast furnace steel industry. Of course, you can always put metallurgical coal into a power station. It's not, it's like putting, you know, it's, it's like rocket fuel for a, for a power station, but you can't do the reverse, right? You cannot put thermal coal into a coke oven and a blast furnace. So it's, it's one, yeah. again, I want, I want to deal with this because, again, we get questions sent in all the time from all around the world where there's this misunderstanding. So, yeah. so thermal coal has what? It's more polluting it's got more uh, has different side effects in, in terms of the environment versus matte coal what was the difference i know the different uses but what's what are the different outcomes when you use them well they have um you know they they have different you know, chemical properties uh um and um you know metallurgical uh it's it still has ash it still has sulfur as does um, as does thermal thermal coal, uh, but uh, in the coking process of, of metallurgical coal, you know we we extract uh, those impurities in the coke oven, uh, so that when we put pure coke, pure carbon, into a blast furnace, uh, a lot of those polluting properties have been removed. Okay, right. So I think we need to do a little bit of digging and we might help people and point them in the right direction in terms of just getting the understanding right there. You want us today to focus on matte coal, metallurgical coal, coking coal, steel making coal, uh, and what you're, what you're going to do. So um, let's start off and try and understand a little bit about you. So what's your background? Have you been in the coal game long? 18 years. Um, you know, I've, I've been involved in um, running, uh, originating, uh, promoting, uh, mining companies, in particular coal. Uh, but my, my first career was in uh, was in 
law, M&A law. Uh, in New Zealand and in London, I spent eight years uh, working for a magic circle firm in London, investment banking in London as well. Uh, and uh, in the late 1990s, um, I decided to a career change and by, by no good planning on my part, I ended up um, you know, in the mining industry um, and uh, came to own a underground coal mining services company in Australia, along with two, two of my partners in uh, one of the projects that we are launching and, and came to learn uh, about mining and ultimately running mining companies uh, and came to learn about, you know, about the coal business and, and, and appreciate how important, how critical uh, steelmaking coal is to, you know, to the world, to the industrialization of the world. And as I said before, the role that it has to play in renewable energy as well. Okay. Look, I, I want to get into yeah. your business plan and, and why why you set this up. You know, what, what is Legends all about? But just, just you've hit upon some of the touch points I want to talk about now, which is, you know, what's happening in, in demand from India, demand in China. It's a net importer of China. Obviously, everyone's, I think, aware of the, the spat between Australia, world's largest producer of uh, cocaine coal, and China, the world's largest consumer, and what's that doing, what that's doing to pricing. Is that slightly distorting people's perception of the opportunities in the market? Uh, not at all. Um, I mean, I, you know, people uh, certainly who understand uh, the market and, and the basic fundamentals of uh, you know of supply and demand in this uh, in this sector, uh, and are not uh, turned off at all by uh, the conflict between uh, Australia and China, and and certainly in the last couple of weeks, you know, the, the world order in terms of coal pricing and how it's priced uh, has returned, um, you know, after uh, a, a, an odd um, scenario, you know, in the early months of January uh, when when it became, uh, you know, well understood that uh, China had indeed posed a ban on, uh, on um, Australian coal amongst other, amongst other things. But um, you know the, the the current demand is uh, driven um, by India. Uh, India is uh, slowly but surely uh, working its way into a, a industrialization program, and the analysts uh, have you know have been unsure and uncertain about you know, when this was going to transform when it was going to happen. We all knew it was going to happen uh, you know, because of the poverty that exists in, in India. But um, when was it going to happen? And, and it is happening. Now, India is now the largest importer of seaborne metallurgical coal, um, followed by China, who, who is still a net importer, notwithstanding the, you know, the enormous amount of domestic production so what, what can we expect to yeah. see with regards to, you know, the um, supply versus dem demand uh, situation? Because the pricing is slightly distorted now. We're seeing prices out of North America, which haven't been seen in a long time, because China's having to find alternatives to this Australian um, su supply issue, which they've, they've cut their nose off despite their face, it seems. Um, so is that sustaining 
Um, I, I get the prices coming back, and you, you're painting the picture that you know the demand story is very, very positive. But it, is it a kind of synthetic situation, or do you, can you see the pricing continuing as it is for some time into the future? I'm, I'm not too sure that you know that that, that the comment that you made is, is accurate. Um, certainly, for about a month, um, the as I say, the world order of pricing, your pricing of of metallurgical coal is all against a benchmark coal or benchmark set of coals out of the Bowen Basin in Queensland. Um, there are mines there, uh, namely Peak Downs, uh, Riverside, and a handful of other ones. And they set uh, the pricing for all metallurgical coal on the seaborne market. Now, certainly during the month of January, um, you know, the benchmark, um, you know, was trading at a significant discount to other metallurgical coals, Canadian and US in particular. But world order has returned and uh, benchmark, uh, what we call premium low vol, hard coking coal from Australia is now again setting the price. US and Canadian, well, US, what we call US high vol, A, hard coking coal, um, trades very closely to premium low volt, to benchmark. I, I think over the last seven years, the, the discount is something in the order of 2 to 4%. And at times, high vol A will trade at a premium to benchmark. So US coals, historically, certainly the high vol A coal, um, is aligned very closely to premium low vol. So it's not as though the US had a period of, of, of high prices. It, it, it's rather that premium low vol because of the Chinese um, and Australian conflict, you know, um, depreciated very, very quickly for a very short period of time. But um, US high vol A is, a, is an excellent coal, highly sought after by the steel mills and, uh, and a premium is paid for it. Right, and yet we saw in the US an eight percent reduction in in last year's numbers. Was that down to COVID? Was that was that down? Because we listened to, well, uh, these uh, Trump supporters talking about Trump being there to support the American coal industry, yet production is down. So, what was what what is that a factor of? Matthew, it's pure economics. Um, the US um, are historically a high cost producer on the seaborne market. 320 million tonnes of uh, metallurgical coal hits the seaborne market every year. The, the Australia accounts for about 60, 65% of that, followed by the US, say 15, and um, Canada, say 10, and then there's the rest of the world. The US, unfortunately, uh, for several reasons, uh, is, is, the highest, is one of the highest cost producers on that, uh, in that market. So they're at the top end of the cost curve. And, and, they, and we, we often refer to the US as a swing supplier. Prices are up, they come on line, they, they back into production very quickly, when prices decline, they disappear. So, so what you saw in a reduction in US um, exports of MET coal was directly related to the drop in the uh, benchmark price during COVID. Gotcha. Okay. And we know it's also uh, blast furnaces in Europe firing up again. That's got to be good for demand. Got to be good for pricing. Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it certainly makes me feel warm and fuzzy. Um, you know, the European steel mills um, idled uh, many of their blast furnaces during COVID and so did India. 
but they're back. They're, they're, they're firing up. Uh, they're looking uh, for coal, and there's not a lot on the seaborne market. With the decline uh, in U.S. production, as I mentioned before, uh, there's a hole uh, on the supply side, and, and Europe is screaming for coal at the moment, and they're having to export it from Australia um, because, of course, Australia can't export to China. Uh, and so they have to pay uh, you know, a, a big premium to get that coal uh, all the way around the Cape and into Europe. Uh, and India also, uh, their blast furnaces uh, are starting again. Uh, so the, the demand out of Europe and India is very, very strong at the moment. So we're going to need some near-term producers, aren't we? Is this time to talk about Allegiance Coal? Exactly. <laughs> right. Well, let, let's let's do that. Okay. Why don't you tell us what it is that you got? Because you are a near-term producer. You're talking about being, you know, we can, you know. It, it, I think we're talking about mid-year cash flow. So let's talk about what you've got, and then I want to talk about what how you managed to put it together and what it is that you're trying to build. So if you don't mind, just maybe get into the, the assets where they are. Um, and, and maybe mm. some of the numbers associated with it, and then we'll get into the, the why and how. Yeah, sure. Two, two projects. Uh, uh, the Canadian project uh, here in uh, northern uh, British Columbia, where uh, northwest British Columbia, where, where I live, uh, Greenfields project, uh, but very, very close to uh, permitting. And last year I completed the acquisition of... Uh, a, uh, an idled uh, coal mine in southeast Colorado uh, with a very large uh, resource base. Uh, and that's the asset which uh, we are working uh, very hard to uh, return to production, you know, target date, uh, you know, May, May, June this year. Okay, mid, mid, mid year. So give me some of the numbers because I've, I've written a few numbers down here, 673 uh, million tonnes and it's permitted. You did allude a second ago that around US, US Met coal, it's around the economics. So what can you tell us about the numbers um, there at New Elk? Yeah, New Elk is a, is a big resource, uh, certainly by US standards. Uh, yeah, we, the mine itself has uh, 670 odd million metric tonnes of uh, of coal resource, uh, the vast majority of which is in the measured and indicated um, category. It's a very high level of resource de definition. Uh, I undertook a feasibility study uh, in relation to uh, one of the eight coal seams uh, last year and converted um, converted uh, about uh, 45 uh, million uh, tons of that resource into uh, saleable coal reserves. Uh, and, that, and that's just—I mean—that's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, resource this big, you know, you can't plan uh, how you're going to mine it uh, in, in, you know, in a couple of months. It's something that you're continually working on and reviewing. So substantial resource base, uh, got a, a solid reserve base to start mining uh, with that asset. Um, uh, what uh, what are my costs to load it on a vessel in the Gulf of Mexico, which is which is where we will take it? Um, uh, our feasibility study uh, indicated that we could uh, load a vessel in in uh, one of the coal terminals in in Houston for something in the order of seventy five US dollars uh, per metric ton. Alternatively, I can rail it a little bit further to a coal, to to the coal port to New Orleans. 
for the price of, a, of, of around about $80 per metric ton. So these are, I mean, you know, you know, in terms of cash costs, these are very, these are very low cash costs uh, on the seaborne market. Uh, it would put, you know, puts the mine certainly in the lowest half of, of the cost curve for seaborne metallurgical coal, and um, and um, you know, on the on the tip of the lowest cost quartile. So I feel very good about our cash costs. Okay, so that's, that's cash costs, but help, help us understand, just so people can do some quick maths in their head, is like, what is that selling for at the moment, at the moment on the open market? So the product that we are, um, that we will be uh, exporting in the coming year uh, will be uh, very close to, um, high, uh, to, on specification, high vol A. Uh, so it's a premium coal. Uh, today, high vault A is trading at last glance uh, around 150 uh, US dollars per metric ton. Um, I would be hoping to, to get something uh, very, very close to that price, uh, you know, with our, with our first shipments. Okay, fantastic. So, right, we've done, just done some maths in our head. Um, we now need to, it's permitted. You've done uh, fully permitted, um, yeah. and and um, I might add fully constructed. I mean, this mine was built in 1951. It operated for 30 years, producing 30 million tons of uh, coking coal supplied to the to a blast furnace which existed in southern Colorado for over 100 years, and also supplied coking coal to a blast furnace in California. Uh, so it's uh, it's a, it's it's a constructed mine. If you know, it's if I was to build this mine today, it would cost two hundred million dollars. Uh, my startup capital requirement today is thirteen point five million US dollars. Okay, so thirteen point five million gets you a re- refurbished operating mine, fully permitted. Um, what else? What else do you need to do between now and May June this year? Not just in terms of cash, but in terms of skilled labor force getting equipment in there to be able to start a process and anything else that you need to be able to get it free on board. So my management team is mobilized. Uh, they're on site now. Uh, the chief operating officer of the mine uh, has moved there with his family. Uh, we have engaged our production manager, uh, our um, uh, general manager for non-production activities. Uh, those are the two key executive positions on the mine. Those people are in place. We are currently refurbishing the mine equipment that we have on site. We need to buy some extra uh, pieces of equipment. Uh, and we're refurbishing the mine generally, small upgrade on the wash plant. Uh, but all of that will be done by the end of March. It's not a big engineering exercise. It is primarily refurbishment. Uh, and on the sales side, my sales and marketing agent, I used a firm out of Brisbane, Australia, uh, they are engaged uh, with the steel mills globally, and uh, we are starting to build, you know, to build an order book. So it's all very imminent. It, it, well, the, the deadline is. Um, <laughs> there's, so there's quite a lot of moving parts there. So just just on the cash front, you you raised I know seven and a half million um, back in November, but what are you are you sitting on enough cash at the moment to actually do all of this? So, um, no, I'm not. Um, I've, I've, I'm using that cash uh, to do the equipment refurbishment 
and mind refurbishment um, uh, as we as we speak. Uh, but certainly, um, you know, I, I will need more money to uh, to continue uh, that um, capex program. I mean, it's, it's not significant. The total capital expenditure requirement out of that thirteen point five is ten million, uh, and the other three and a half million is working capital to get into production. But I'm very advanced in um, in uh, discussions and due diligence with the New York debt fund. Um, uh, for a, um, a $15 million uh, a project finance facility, um, technical due diligence uh, is largely uh, completed. Uh, no real issues um, out of that uh, due diligence. The independent uh, technical uh, mining consultants um, uh, felt that the mine plan that my consultants had developed was robust. Now, op- OPEX costs, CAPEX, production assumptions. Uh, so that's a real positive. Uh, and um, the debt fund is now moving into legal uh, and financial due diligence. So if I'm successful in uh, securing uh, that funding, uh, that uh, will be uh, the greater part uh, of my um, capital requirement secured. So I, I hope to do that uh, by you know mid to late March. Okay, so your your market cap's around eighty million. Share price has been fairly, fairly, fairly. Let's call it flat-ish over the course of the last year. You want to do it in the most non-dilutory way possible for your shareholders and probably yourself. You're quite a significant shareholder too, you know, over three and a half percent. Those conversations with traders in Brisbane looking to do your marketing, your sales effectively for you, are you gonna need a piece of paper from them to go to your debt guy in New York and say, hey, look, I've got forward sales, I've got an offtake or whatever the agreement looks like to be able to get the debt guys over the line or are they gonna have a massive security on your asset to be able to get provide you the debt that you want? Because it, it this swings and roundabouts here about how you how you come at it, you're a lawyer, you know, so you, you're going to want that as tight as possible, but also to answer the question of how do you do this in a non-dilutory way. So, what, what are you looking? What are the options you're looking at? So, offtake, um, offtake financing uh, will not be a uh, condition precedent to the funding. Uh, the you know the, the coal quality is well understood. It uh, it aligns very nicely with um, you know highball highball a coking coal on the seaborne market. It's a very liquid product. It's highly sought after. It's in demand particularly so in the current environment. So, you know, offtake finance is, is, is uh, not a condition to the funding. Uh, it, this is, you know, typical project finance. So uh, the, uh, the debt fund will be uh, our senior secured creditor. Okay, fine. Okay. And that does, and you'll try to do what? Make sure that some of those conditions fall away over the course of uh, repaying that uh, loan? Um, we're looking at probably a three-year term. Uh, you know, um, twelve month holiday, interest holiday, and start repaying debt over the last two years. I think mean, that that's the type of facility uh, that we uh, we have uh, discussed. I, mean, I do have a term sheet for it, subject to the, you know the completion of DD. So the, all the commercials have been agreed. Beautiful. Uh, subject emergence. Okay, I guess what I'm getting that is over the next three years of, of the term of, of this loan, will you be needing to go out to market to raise further? capital uh and if so you know i guess what for um and will this affect your ability to do that i think once you know 
once the market uh, knows that uh, I've secured this facility or is, or, is, or is comfortable that they can see that I will uh, get this uh, uh, debt facility, that um, uh, they will see in, that I have a clear pathway through to production. And, uh, and I'm, I'm hoping um, uh, one can never forecast what's going to happen in the capital markets, but I, I'm hoping that the company will be re-rated as a consequence of that. It really, in my mind, is the is you know is the barrier to uh, to reflecting the true value of you know of the company. You know, we have a market cap of of uh, slightly less than eighty million. Uh, yet, uh, you know, by the end of uh, this year, we could be on track to. Um, you know, depending on the coal price, uh, to achieving you know an EBITDA of seventy-five million Australian, you know, on a multiple or say a four times, which is which is quite typical for uh, the the coal sector. You know, that, that, that puts a, a market cap, uh, you know, comfortably uh, over two hundred, uh, nearing three hundred million. So well, that's a big gap from where we are today, and that's potentially less than a year away. No, the, the opportunity is um, clear if you, if you can deliver all of those things in, in the sequence and, and, and timing that you right. say. Absolutely, right? Are you slightly frustrated the way that coal companies are valued? You know, the multiples can be four or five times, and then sometimes they just sit there, ca- these wonderful cash-producing machines, but the big funds don't want to go near coal, met, met coal or otherwise, because the, they possibly don't understand it, or at least their shareholders don't understand it. And they, you're seeing this trend away from coal generally. Is that frustrating? Not really. I mean, there is, there are, uh, there remain very strong supporters. Uh, the retail sector uh, continues to invest, invest very heavily uh, in, you know, companies uh, like ours uh, in the met coal sector. Uh, micro fund managers uh, continue to do it. Family offices. There is a wonderful source uh, of capital uh, if you can attract it. Um, I think what we, what we, I think what, you know, what I see has happened, you know, since perhaps the last coal boom uh, during that, you know, 2010, 2011 years, that uh, that that coal mine uh, operators and CEOs like myself are, are focusing a lot more on generating cash flows and paying dividends. And historically, uh, coal companies uh, were, were looking to, to to take the retained earnings and make acquisitions and and, and grow the biggest coal company, uh, you know, uh, this side of um, you know Queensland or, or wherever. Uh, and they were focused on capital growth, on on share price uh, accretion, uh, which is a wonderful thing, uh, but less focused on actually. The fundamental of paying a good return to your shareholders. So my strategy is to generate strong earnings, um, focus on organic growth. I mean, I have a huge resource base. You know, I have two projects, uh, and the New Oak is a very significant resource base. And the organic growth that I can achieve from that asset, rather than having to go out and acquire other assets, is significant. Uh, so, you know, I want to get strong earnings and pay returns to my shareholders. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. As you, you say, the, the, a couple of points there is that I think the roadside is littered with some train wreck M&A activity where people are paying hundreds of millions, if not billions, 
for coal assets, and then they've forgotten that, we, oh, we need to make money. So there, I think some good examples of that. Um, but also, the interesting thing is about coal companies is this sort of certainly analysis we've done, that the dividends are high single digit, if not sometimes low double digit uh, type dividends. It's extraordinary. They really are. They, they are. And, um, you know, in my engagement and conversations with fund managers, uh, that uh, that always comes up. You know, how committed are you to paying dividends? They want to see, uh, you know, annual returns uh, on their investment. They're not sitting there uh, just watching the share price perform uh, every month. Yeah. Uh, I'm committed, very committed uh, to that strategy. Uh, and as I said before, uh, we are lucky because we have such a massive resource base that the organic growth that we can achieve with a single asset is very significant. I'm glad, I'm glad you said that. So there's, there's, there's a kind of, um, I know, the, you know manage money, our, our, our money ourselves. You know, the, the ATM component, right, these high, high single digit, low double digit uh, dividends mm. is very attractive as a, a steady, steady um, income. And whatever happens to the, the equities happens to the equities, um, which usually it's the other way around. We think of lots of industries which should pay, you know, 1% or half a percent and feel quite pleased with themselves. So it's, I think it's interesting, definitely worth people investigating further and, and, and looking at. And I was going to talk to you about the strategy, but I think you've kind of laid out there that you're not going to be going after a crazy M&A component. So in terms of fundraising, dilution further down the line, that's that's not on your agenda at all. Um, so New Elk, we understand. We understand the timing of it. And obviously you're, you're, you're up in uh, BC at the other asset. So what's the timing on that? Um, so j just, um, so I've, I've got a very strong management team, uh, uh, based in New York. So I, I'm, I'm very comfortable sitting here in Northwest BC, um, and, uh, engaging with them, you know, every day, uh, via, via this platform. Uh, but with my, um, Canadian project, uh, we're very close to filing what is called an environmental assessment certificate for that asset. Uh, that um, activates a 180-day review period with the um, uh, the regulators here in British Columbia, and that leads to a 40-day decision period by the uh, ministers of Environment and Energy and Mines. So, hopefully, uh, by October, November this year, we'll have our environmental certificate for that particular project, and and that is the mountain to climb. So that asset is. Uh, not very far away from being permitted and being into production. Uh, so I'm thinking a possible construction in mid-2022, first coal 2023. So that would add very nicely to, you know, to our production in New York. Incremental uh, increase in production you know, from one of our assets. But here's, but here's the other aspect to that. that. That's saying it and it happening are two different things, right? Because... You know, as I said at the, the outset, you know, the amount of abuse we got just for writing an article which was, you know, remotely positive of coal as an investment, okay? You are up there and you've got not just your, your EIA to approve, you've got to get the locals on board. You've got to get their permission, you know, and with this First Nations there, you've got, you've got to work with these people. So what are you doing about that? Because, you know, applying for stuff on paper and having people standing at your gate stopping anyone entering your property, you know, that, these are all considerations. So how do you manage that? How do you develop those relations? 
Uh, well, the best way to do that is to, uh, as a company, is to send your CEO there, uh, make your CEO live there, <laughs> and uh, engage with the community in, in a real way. You know, don't come and do six monthly visits and and present to the local community in a hall. Come and live here. Come and engage with the community. Let them have what they want to say. You know. Th- the buck stops with me and, 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 and the locals understand that and they're very appreciative of me being here. So I've been here for three years and I moved here when we commenced the uh, environmental, uh, the pre-application phase of the environmental assessment process in British Columbia. Um, the, the local community are hugely supportive. Uh, there are isolated pockets of opposition and, and, and that is uh, acknowledged and accepted. But overall, the local community is hugely acceptive Subject to two provisos, um, do not prejudice uh, the water in the rivers and the fish habitat in the rivers. And that comes down to science and engineering. And if we can't uh, satisfy uh, the BC regulators uh, and the local First Nations uh, group uh, that we can do that, uh, then we, we have not achieved our social license and we will not get our environmental assessment certificate. Uh, so it comes down to, as I said, the ability of my team to, uh, you know, to develop a mine plan, a mine design, uh, which uh, has minimal impact uh, on not only water and fish habitat, but all the other environmental um, you know, uh, components and, and, that's what we're doing, and, and, and I can say that uh, given how close we are to lodging our e-application, that we're feeling pretty good about the results that we have now. Okay. Well, I did, like, I mean, let us know how you get on with it. I think it's really, really important. What you say is really important. Sometimes it's not just about jobs. It's about doing things the right way and making, if it takes a little bit longer, so be it. So I like, appreciate that. Um, exactly. We as investors, we want to look at where the money's coming from. So for as far as you're concerned, New Elk, that's what we should be, we should be looking at. Timing you've outlined, May, June this year, cash flowing and assuming everything else comes together at the same time. Mark, I love it. Appreciate your time today. Uh, I know it's freeze, freezing there. Yeah, um, <laughs> hopefully not inside. Um, you should stay in touch with us. Let us know how you get on. Sounds like there's a succession of uh, community... Uh, announcements that you'll be making over the next few months so we'd love to hear from you and uh so do pick up that phone let us know okay thanks for the opportunity matt uh you're absolutely right uh we are three to four months away from production we've got a big resource base uh, a big reserve base uh, a wonderful asset a good coal quality uh we'll be producing you know by the end of the year up in excess of one and a half million uh, tons annualized. Uh, the company really is in a strong position uh, and uh, it comes down to execution. I've got the management team to do it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.